Thank you, kids. Great job. And any other Bridge Kids uh, who weren't in the choir are dismissed uh, to go to Bridge Kids right now. Well, it's really good to be back uh, after being in California and Hawaii and kind of laying on the beach and stuff like that. I am very glad to be home. We both are very glad to be home. California and Hawaii are nice places to visit, but this is home and glad to be back. So, just in case you were wondering, there are 43 states in the U.S. plus the District of Columbia that run official lotteries as of January 2014. What does that have to do with Christmas? According to an article written for CNN, more than half of people in the U.S. Um, purchased lottery tickets this past year. 20% of those who buy lottery tickets buy the majority of the tickets. In 2012, Americans spent $78 billion on lottery tickets. Since 1964, when the state of New Hampshire launched the first modern state lottery, ticket sales have gone up every year, even 2008, the year of the Great Recession, when everything else dropped, lottery tickets went up. The question is, is what drives the sale of lottery tickets? It's probably not the incredible odds. You're more likely to be attacked by a shark. One in, one in, one in 11.5 million chances you'll be attacked by a shark you're more likely to be struck by lightning than win the lottery. One in three million chances. To win the grand uh, prize for the Powerball is one in 175 million chances for you to win. You'd have to buy 86 million lottery tickets just to get a 50-50 chance on winning. So why do people play the lottery? Well, because it's an opportunity to participate in a world of fantasy. Now, maybe you bought a lottery ticket and you didn't participate in a world of fantasy, but listen to this. Rebecca Paul Hargrove, president of the Tennessee Education Lottery Corporation, states, for $2, you can spend the day dreaming about what you would do with a half a billion dollars. Psychologist Stephen Colbart suggests that the lottery appeals because it lets you believe in magic, that you will be the one who spent a little to get a lot, and that winning the money will get a respite from conflict, complexity, and angst of everyday life. Journalist Adam Peori writes, the lottery is a game where reason and logic are rendered absolute and hope and dreams are on sale. Hope and dreams are on sale. In contrast, there is another hope that's not on sale. And it's the hope that comes with the Christian Christmas message. Uh, J.R. Packer, uh, a well-known author, has a quote um, from his book, Knowing God. And here's what he says. The Christmas message is that there is a hope for a ruined humanity. Hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ, 
became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. I'm grateful to God that um, I've had the opportunity to experience this hope because I was a part of ruined humanity. And I've had the hope of pardon and the hope of eternal life. And I'm thankful for the hope of peace with God. Today I want to focus on the hope of Christmas, not the hope of Christmas presents and Christmas parties and gathering with our families on Christmas, but the hope of Christmas for a ruined humanity, the hope that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So we're going to start by focusing on some promises of God about sending his son. If you have an outline, I want to encourage you to follow along. The first promise we're going to start with is that the birth of Jesus gives us confidence about the promises of God. The birth of Jesus gives us confidence. So we're going to reflect a little bit. We're going to look back. Uh, We've heard these promises over and over again. Sometimes it's just so easy to take them for granted. You know, I already know that stuff. So hang with me here. God communicated hundreds of years beforehand about his son. It's really important, really important for people to understand and to know what was coming, to respond by faith, to believe what God had said. So the birth of Jesus gives us confidence. First, the first promise is that Christ would be born to a virgin. You already knew this, right? but it's more than what you know. He would be born of a virgin. Key passage, Isaiah 7, 14, another passage you may know well. This is about eight centuries before the birth of Christ that God gave this prophecy to Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah wrote, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. So this is going to come from God. It's going to be a sign. Uh, A sign is a supernatural event. It's a miracle. It's an attention getter. It's like, okay, People, he's talking to the nation Israel, wake up because this is really important and I'm going to show you this. There's going to be a miracle. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. By the way, that's not normal. That's not normally how God does this thing, the birth thing. Uh, But this is going to be a miracle. This is going to supersede the laws of science and there's going to be a miraculous conception and the Holy Spirit is going to cause this miracle to happen, a conception And the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. We know this child is going to be a male. And he will be, and you will call him Emmanuel. So we come to Matthew chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. And Matthew picks up on this prophecy. And this is where the angel Gabriel comes to Joseph and lets Joseph in on what's going to happen. You know, Gabriel has already gone and spoken to Mary, and she knows. And Joseph doesn't know yet. And he knows that Mary is pregnant, and that's a problem because he's not the father. And so Joseph had the right to be a little nervous. In fact, Matthew tells us that Joseph had a mind to divorce Mary because they were legally bound already in their um, engagement. The virgin will conceive, and this is the angel to, to, to Joseph. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, 
and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So um, the angel is quoting Isaiah 7:14. Joseph knows a little bit of the Bible. Click, click, click. And even explains what Emmanuel means. God with us. This is going to be a really unique baby, a special child, so that in this child, God will be with us. By the way, in theology, we call this the incarnation. It's about God becoming human, about God becoming flesh. It's an amazing thing that the God of the universe would leave heaven and chose to limit himself inside Mary's womb to experience this conception and being carried nine months and then being born as an infant. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Same name that Gabriel had told Mary. They didn't consummate their marriage until, and this is very clear, until after the birth of Jesus. By the way, they did consummate their marriage because there are lots of brothers and sisters of Jesus, and they were not virgin-born. So uh, this is important to Matthew to clarify for his audience. So Christ would be born to a virgin. The second promise is that Christ's birth would take place in Bethlehem. Micah the prophet, at the same time as Isaiah, about the 8th century before the birth of Christ, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, Bethlehem, you're practically, you're just a tiny little town. You're not important. Except God has now designated you for this important role. You will be the birthplace. You, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah. So Bethlehem is in the uh, territory of Judah, be about the size of uh, a county in Wisconsin. Judah is about the size of a county, and Bethlehem's just a small town there. Out of you will come for me. Someone is going to come out of Bethlehem for God who will be ruler over Israel. He will be a king whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. There's something about this child. This child existed before the birth in Bethlehem. And it's not easy to see in this language here uh, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. That just sounds like really, really old. The Hebrew concept would be this is from eternity past. This one who comes has eternal existed. He existed before time. So he will be born this place is predicted is Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea. Probably should have had a map. If we had the map, Nazareth is in the north part of Israel. That's where Jesus grew up. Not far from the Sea of Galilee because Jesus hung up there to see the Galilean ministry. Jerusalem is in the south. Bethlehem is just outside of Jerusalem. It's over 70 miles. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, 
because he belonged to the house and line of David. So Joseph is a descendant of David, and he has to go to Bethlehem because that's where you're supposed to register if you are part of the family of David. So think about this. God orchestrated that the um, emperor of Rome, head of the Roman Empire, hundreds of miles away, is now sending a message that he wants a census taken, so everybody in Israel has to be counted. That message gets to Nazareth. So Joseph hears the message. It's legal now. He has to trek all the way down to Bethlehem. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And then verse 7 says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. So the God of the, uni- the, God of the universe orchestrated that this baby would be born in Bethlehem by sending Joseph from Nazareth uh, 70 miles south, and poor Mary, full term, has to make this trek. But that's how God orchestrated it. By the way, life isn't always easy, is it? It wasn't easy for Mary. She has a pretty big task here. The next promise is Christ's birth would come through the family line of David. We've already seen that. Christ's birth would come through the family line of David. Joseph uh, was from the family line of David, Luke 2, 4. We just read that. 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 13. God speaks to David through Nathan the prophet. God says to David, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, David, when you're dead, I will raise up for you your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build the house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So David, you're going to have a descendant. He's going to be of your flesh. It's going to be human. And God is the one who's going to establish his kingdom, and it's going to be a kingdom forever. So this is not just any old kingdom or any old king. But this is a promise. It's called the Davidic covenant, where God made a promise to David that the Messiah, the promised one, would come through the line of David. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Another great Christmas passage. For us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. A child is going to be born. This is 900, 800, uh, it's the 8th century before the birth of Jesus. And this promise, there's going to be a child born, and guess what? He is going to be mighty God. That's not just anyone. This is very unique. This is an intention getter. Um, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. There it is, confirmation. David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever, eternal kingdom. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It's not going to be a great human leader. God is going to do this. This is going to be a God thing from beginning to end. Matthew 1.1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
very important to Matthew, the, writer, the gospel writer of Matthew, to painstakingly demonstrate that Jesus is a descendant of David. Because all of those prophecies in the Old Testament tie Messiah, which is another word for the Christ, to Jesus. And Matthew is going to see that that is clear. And so all of this chapter 1, you know, we don't like to read genealogy, that somebody begat somebody. There's a reason to trace it in Matthew 1 back to Jesus' connection with David. Jesus also had a connection with Abraham. He was a descendant of Abraham. It goes all the way back to Genesis 12. We could do another 50 passages on the family line of Jesus and how they're all connected. So what's the big deal about these promises? We've talked about promises that give us confidence in God's word. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Peter says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. This is just easy to read through because it's the beginning of the book, right? The intro. Grace and peace be yours. What is that? Grace, God's unmerited favor on you. God's blessing on you. Grace on you. And peace. We need peace in our homes, peace in our world. Peace on you. Grace and peace be on you. How? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Here's where we turn off the switch. I already know that. We take so many things as gathering information. I know that. Well, this is personal knowledge of the true and living God, a day-by-day relationship with the true and living God, knowing Him, hearing Him, listening to Him, communicating to Him, trusting Him, living in His strength day by day by day. Grace and peace to you through this personal knowledge. Verse 3, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. So God's power enables you and I to have everything we need for a godly life through what? Our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Knowledge of him. It's, it, yes, it's knowledge of scripture, but it's knowledge of living day by day with him and trusting him and seeing him at work following through, following Christ, bringing our requests to God, experiencing the peace of God that comes when he answers prayer, being nurtured by the word of God on a daily basis where it fills our soul, nourishes us, strengthens us, gives us contentment. God has, let's stay back there, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Everything we need. Let's go on to the next slide. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises. There they are, the promises of God. Very great and precious promises about who Jesus is, about what he would do, what he's done for us. There's a whole lot of promises about what he's going to do. These great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by the evil desires. 
that you may participate in the divine nature. What's that? Do I become God? No. But what if I'm born of God? What if I'm born again? What if I'm giving, given a nature of God? I, I, I have a new nature, a spiritual nature. When I placed my faith in Christ, I was born again. And I connected with God, and I began to participate in this nature. And I can participate in this nature having escaped the corruption of the world. See, God has a design for us. Romans 8, 29 tells us he desires to conform us to the image of his son. He wants to shape us. He wants to mold us. He wants to use our daily circumstances to help conform us to the image of his son. Remember, we were created in the image of God. Problem is, is sin and stuff get it all messed up. But as God works in us, he wants to rebuild and reform the image of God, the image of Christ in us as we participate in the divine nature. And as we do that, we escape corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It keeps us from sin. <clears throat> okay. So the, the birth of Jesus gives us confidence in the promises of God. God gave promises about sending his son hundreds of years in advance. God orchestrated history to send his son. God had sent his son just as he promised. And here's the question. Do you trust him? Do you believe the promises of God? Do you believe the promises that God has made to you? Do you believe that God answers prayer? Do you believe that God will provide for you? Not for somebody else who prays, but for you. Do you believe that he will never leave you or forsake you? Do you believe the promises of God? Is your confidence growing in the promises of God? Do you believe that he loves you? Do you believe that he forgives you? This is that growing in the knowledge, personal knowledge of God. So, number two. The birth of Jesus gives us hope for the future. The birth of Jesus gives us hope for the future. On your outline A, many prophecies were fulfilled at Christ's birth. You already knew that. You can just check that off. I already know that. I won't even read the scripture because you already know that. Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 32. I'm still tempted to. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high the lord god will give him the throne of his father david so this is um, the angel speaking to mary before it's when the angel gabriel announces to mary about her becoming pregnant and this is who the child will be she was told on this occasion that she would be pregnant as a virgin that's not going to be easy Who's going to believe her, by the way? Do you think her parents will believe her? Do you think Joseph is going to believe her the first time? What are the people in Nazareth going to think about Mary? She was told what she should name Jesus. She was told of his greatness. She was told literally that he would be the son of the most high God. And that only means one thing. He is God. 
Son of the Most High God means equal to the Father. Um, Mary and Joseph, this is an interesting thing about the whole story. It, you know, it's fun to trace the Mary and the Joseph stories and put them together. Uh, when you think about it, God, God went to Mary, prepared her, got her ready. God went to Joseph to help him, bring him up to speed. You know, sometimes guys are a little slow on the uptake. Joseph was just like that. And, uh, but they both had this supernatural experience with an angel talking to them. And they would be able to go back to this and say, it doesn't make any difference what other people believe. God has a plan, and we're a part of it. And they would encourage each other uh, with this. Uh, they would remind each other of these things. Remember what the angel said. Um, they were gonna, they're going to need to rely on each other to raise their child, because nobody's going to believe their story. Next, many prophecies are yet to be fulfilled in the future. You already knew that. Many prophecies are yet to be fulfilled. Luke 1, 32 through 33. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Sounds a little bit like the Davidic covenant, the promises that God made to David. He's going to be great. He's going to be the Son of the Most High. He's going to have a throne of his father David. And, by the way, Jesus never had the throne of David. Never did. And he's going to reign over Jacob's descendants forever. That hasn't happened. And his kingdom will never end. Well, that hasn't happened. But it's coming. It's coming. When we think about the promises of God, we have hope because we know who wins in the end. We know who's going to win. We know how this turns out. God has given us all kinds of information about the big picture. We have Revelation, the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 19, Jesus is going to come a second time. Revelation chapter 20, Jesus is going to bring judgment and establish his kingdom. Revelation chapter 21 and 22, Jesus is going to establish an eternal kingdom. We call it heaven. No more tears, no more pain, no more dying. We know how it turns out. That's whether you believe it or not doesn't make any difference. Those are God's promises, and that's what's going to happen. I encourage you to think about believing it. We know who's going to win in the end. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31 says this, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. The promises of God bring us hope. Those who hope in the Lord uh, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. By the way, I think he's speaking metaphorically. I don't think he's expecting you to really get eagle wings. But the idea is God is going to renew your strength and enable you to focus and to cope with what you're dealing with today. Stuff, life. Life is hard. And we need to be renewed and we need to have hope. Not to give up. We have hope. And that's what the promises of God are for, is to give us hope. We have hope when we remember the birth announcement of the angel. Remember Luke chapter 1, verse 37? 
for no word from God will ever fail. That's what the angel told Mary when she said, well, how can this be? And then, and then he tells her that it's going to be a God thing. And then he reminds her, no word from God. If God says it, it's not going to fail. And I like the way the old NIV used to say it. I'm already old to the NIV. NIV is old. This is a new NIV. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Now, God will never violate his character to do something. But he can do anything. He's all-powerful. He can heal anyone. He can provide for anyone. He can guide your future. He can help you find your future mate. You trust him. Nothing is impossible with God. Thirdly, last point, the birth of Jesus compels us to be ready for his return. The birth of Jesus compels us to be ready for his return. Many people were not ready for him the first time he came. Many people were not ready for him the first time he came. Uh, we just went through the Gospel of Mark and we could see it over and over and over again. In John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, it says that he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He came to that which was his own. He came to his own people. He came to the nation Israel. They were the one that had all the promises. They were the one given the Old Testament scriptures and said, God said, I'm going to give you, Israel, the Messiah of the world, the one who is going to be Lord of Lord and King of Kings. He's going to, he's going to be a Jewish man. And he came to them and they didn't receive him. They didn't welcome him. They didn't embrace him. Yes, some people did, but they were the minority. I'm guessing, it's my own guess, 90% of the nation didn't welcome him. After his crucifixion and after the church got started in Acts, more and more people in Jerusalem began to embrace the message of who Jesus was. But not then. Verse 12 says, Yet all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So many people were not ready. Next, many people we're not ready for him, will not be ready for him the second time he comes. Many people will not be ready the second time. You know, there are people who aren't ready right now. They're not ready to embrace Jesus. And there, and there are going to be people who won't be ready when he comes the second time. They won't be ready to embrace him, to welcome him, to receive him personally. One of those passages, Matthew 24, verses 30 and 31. Jesus is talking about that time when he's going to come again and the second time and, he's, and, he, and he says, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Sign, so it's going to be a supernatural event. It's not going to be natural. It's going to be beyond the laws of science and there will appear a sign of the Son of Man. So it's going to be clear who this is. Somehow the world will know the Son of Man Jesus Christ, who he is. It's going to be like, oh, there is a real judge. Oh, I think that's him. It's just going to dawn. It's just going to be clear to the world. And it, look what it says. 
And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. They're going to get a warning right there. They're going to mourn. They're going to grieve. They're going to feel sorrow because they're going to face judgment and they haven't done anything about it. And by the way, I don't think there's going to be any time at this point. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from the end of heavens to the other. Matthew 24, verses 36 through 39. Same chapter, but about, about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah. So it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. God intended to bring judgment on the earth. Genesis chapter 6. He took about 120 years to let this sink in, let Noah build the ark, let Noah tell people about the coming judgment on earth, and nobody paid attention. And life just went on. Kept, the parties kept going, eating and drinking, just like nothing happened. People, people were having weddings and wedding receptions. And then came the flood. It's going to be the same way. That's the point. It's going to be the same way. Next slide. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came, and they took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. When Jesus comes back the second day, what if it was your wedding day? Somebody's going to be getting married on that day just to fulfill this. You know, it's such a great time and all this hope and, oh, I forgot Jesus. I left God out of my life. And it's, the point is, Jesus is saying, it's going to be like that, just the way it was during those days. People are just going to carry on, and they're not going to be ready. They're not, they're not going to pay attention. And Jesus is telling this ahead of time. And there's one key passage here, Matthew 24, verse 35. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Physical existence, as we know it, will pass away. Jesus' words will never pass away. His promises will never pass away. You can count on what Jesus had to say. Just like the first century, when Jesus came into the world, he was born of a virgin. It was announced ahead of time. God gave clues about sending his son helping people to watch for it and get ready for it and to be able to go back and connect it with Scripture. The same is true about the future. God has given us promises, and we can count on them. He's given us clues. We have a sense of confidence about the future. It gives us hope about the future. It gives us a sense of security about the future. In Luke chapter 1, verse 38, Mary responded to the angel, the angel Gabriel. You know, Mary, you're going you're to have a baby. This is going to be true. This is going to be true. All these things are going to happen. Baby's going to be great. It's going to be the son of the most high God. And Mary, the young teenage girl, responded to the angel after uh, he gave her uh, instructions. What was her response? Luke 138. I am the Lord's servant. 
Mary answered, May it be to me as you have said. You know, she's just probably a teenager. She knows she has a relationship with God. And she realizes God is going to call on her for major sacrifice. And she, she takes it in. It, she, it sinks in. And she says, I am the Lord's servant. I've already, made, I've already determined that. What, that. what does that mean? I am a servant. He's the master. I'm the servant. He's Lord. He's the one in charge. And she says, I'm the servant. May it be to me. Lord, whatever you want. What a good place to be. Lord, whatever you want. May it be so. Whatever it is. May it be so. Will I suffer? If that's what you want, Lord, may it be so. Will it accomplish your ends? May it be so. Whatever you want. I am the servant. You are my Lord. Can you say that today as a Christ follower? Christ follower? Lord, whatever you want. May it be so. Can you trust him with every facet of your life? For some of us, do we even want to trust him? So we've talked about the promises of God and the hope that the promises bring. The Apostle Peter reminded us that grace and peace come through knowing Jesus. All that we need for godliness comes through knowing, having a personal relationship, growing relationship according to truth with Jesus. God has given these precious promises so that we trust him with our lives. What steps do you need to take in 2015 to be the person that God wants you to be? To be the person who can say just day after day, Lord, whatever you want. What steps do you need to take to grow in your confidence in God? What steps do you need to take to grow in your knowledge of God? You know, maybe you need to make a, a recommitment to reading scripture. You know, you know it's important, and you do sometimes, but you know you should get back in and try to be regular. Do it so you can grow in your confidence, in your knowledge, your personal knowledge, grow in your relationship with Christ. Maybe it's you need to set aside time each day to entrust your life to God in prayer. I didn't say pray four hours a day. Some of you might be able to do that. But maybe you need just to carve out a little bit of time to center your life with God. And what are the, what are the big things? What are the important things this day? Is there sin in your life that you just need to confess? You know, you've been struggling with it. You know you should do it differently. Deal with it need to confess it. We have a great promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. Maybe you just need to be reminded to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit each day. Because one of the problems of the Christian life is we, we end up trying to do a lot of right things and we do it in our own strength. And we're not real successful. We, we kind of look good to other people sometimes, but that's not... Holy Spirit-empowered living, walking in the power of the Spirit. And maybe you just need to stop and just sort of each day 
re-engage with God and say, God, I want you to lead me. I want you to empower me. I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. And when I get off course, I just want you to remind me to come back, confess that sin, and get back on course. So I just want to encourage us. Let's be intentional about engaging in, our, in a growth mode with God in 2015. Let's be intentional. I don't know what it is God wants you to do. We all just need to keep walking, keep growing, and we do it together. That's why we're the church. Let's stand and pray. Father, you've given us many promises in your word, and it's so easy just to take them for granted and say, gosh, I already know that. But God, we are reminded that you've worked in space and time and history, and you've worked in people's lives, and you've changed lives, and you've answered prayer, and you've done what you said you would do. May that encourage us, Father. May, may that give us hope for the future and confidence in your promises that we can trust them. May we desire to be closer to you. And um, may we just be able to respond like Mary did when she said, may it be so. May it be to me. Whatever God wants. I'm the servant. And he is the master.